0: Welcome to The Pestle. Reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie making process. Hosted by Bill O'Reilly. I can't do it. We'll do it live. We'll do it live. Now let's dim the lights
1: and start the show. (laughs) Welcome everybody to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Man's Best Beer. The brew that is always happy to see you. It's Man's Best Beer. Welcome everybody to The Pestle, I am Wes and I am Todd and this is a film show analysis review where we kind of break apart films and try to see you know what makes them work or not work or you know why do we like it or not. We tend to cover a lot of movies we like and so we, we try to always have good things to say even if you know it's a really bad movie we try to find that silver lining so. I don't know. A lot to do today, though. So we'll just jump right in. Let's do it. So
0: today we are uh, covering The Fighter with Mark Wahlberg and Christian Bale. So if you haven't seen that film, please pause this episode and go watch it because there's going to be spoilers. And we talk about a bunch of
1: stuff that will ruin it. You ruin your experience if you don't watch uh, beforehand. So make sure to do that. 100%. We'll talk about a few things. We'll touch on cinematography, talk about 360 lighting, as well as natural lighting versus available lighting. We'll look at some of the story, of course, and at the very end of the episode, and we'll save it to the very end. We'll also talk about why we got vaccinated. I know that's slightly askew topically, but I don't know. Todd and I were talking about the other day. I was like, eh, why not? We'll throw it in at the end. And so if you don't want to listen to that, trust trust us, we'll cover everything beforehand. And if you want to stay for the last two minutes, that's fine. But we'll cover all of that and other such stuff and things and stuff.
0: And a quick synopsis of the film based on the story of Mickey Ward, a fledgling boxer who tries to escape the shadow of his more famous but troubled older brother in boxing. He gets his own shot at greatness. Directed by David O. Russell. Screenplay by Scott Silver, Paul Tamsay, and Eric Johnson. Cinematography by Hoyt Van Hoytema. Starring Mark Wahlberg as Mickey Ward, Christian Bale as Dickie Eklund. Amy Adams as Charlene, Melissa Leo as Alice Ward, and Jack McGee as George Ward.
1: Why do not you ask Mickey? We're going to train. They got to go. They got to go, Mick. Come on. Hey, hey, hey. Ask him, George. Ask him if he would have won Sanchez without his brother. Hey,
0: take one slide, right? No, I wouldn't have won Sanchez if it wasn't for Dickie. How can you say that to O'Keefe? Because it's true. Right? I went in with our game plan, it wasn't working, so I went back to what I learned with Dicky, And I wouldn't have won without you either, O'Keefe, okay? I mean, you know that. We worked hard, you got me ready. You got your confidence and your focus from O'Keefe, and from Sal, and your father, and from me. Dicky's a junk bag. Hey! He's a junk bag! Well, fuck you, Sean. Oh, fuck you! I'm eight months old. Oh, yeah, and I'm sure you're gonna need some for some now that you have. Oh, my back. Oh, my back. Fuck you always picking on me for. No, fuck you. Huh? And what about O'Keefe? We're in the same boat. And one day at a fucking time, right, O'Keefe? You and me. But uh, what, it's all right for him to be here? Why am I the fucking problem? I'm his blood. I'm his family. I'm the one fighting, okay? Not you, not you, and not you. I know what I need. And you need Dickie? I want Dickie back. And I want you, Charlene, and I want O'Keefe. I
1: want my family. What's wrong with that?
0: Not the deal we made, baby.
1: She's right, Mickey. That's not the deal.
0: It wasn't the deal. Come on, you can't do this to us.
1: You sound like them now.
0: I sound like them Yeah, Lil.
1: you sound like them. You sound How like I do them. This to
0: you? you can't do that to us. You can't do that to us. You sound like them. You should fucking listen to yourself. You sound like them just like them. Maybe this is where you belong. <laughs> That's
1: the way you love them? charlene come on Why'd your brother so i don't know how many great scenes yeah it's yeah it's compelling i mean you kind of have the, the heartbeat of the film right there in terms of one guy is stuck between all his family members and his own desires like yeesh what um yeah i don't know how big of a david or russell fan you are but i'm sure you've probably seen this one at least once does this one land for you i mean i don't know how big of a boxing fan in general you are but
0: Yeah, I mean, it does. And it's, it's, there are, there are scenes that are, that are really compelling and strong. I've seen this before. I've seen it maybe twice before, but it has been a little while since I've seen it. So it was good to rewatch with like fresh eyes, but I still kind of feel the same way. It's like I'm watching it and I'm thinking, man, this is amazing. And, and the the performances are really, really good. There's just something about it, and I can't even... I honestly... It's hard for me to put my finger on it. That doesn't quite land for me, mm. but I want to talk about the good things first before I can kind of identify that. So, I mean, Christian Bale just puts on an absolute clinic. The guy's amazing. He is... He is Dicky. Yeah. I mean, you know, and even just watching that little clip at the end during the credits of the brothers, you're thinking that... I mean that was christian bale's character he like nailed it completely and you know the way that he does his work being so in it and body transformation and like like is he method
1: i'm not sure if he is i, don't I think mean, he's like
0: I, I don't think he's fully method like yeah. daniel day-lewis but yeah but that's not my impression he's he's close <laughs> i mean to the point where you know he might not be the character offset you know, like Daniel Day Lewis is, mm-hmm. but he fully embodies who you know the character he's playing, and to the point, where, you know he'll, he'll destroy his own body for it, right? And it shows. I mean, he played he played that guy incredibly well, and he was the movie for me. Him and Amy Adams were the movie for me. Also, Melissa Leo, the mom, was incredible as well, because I just. Did not like her at all, which means she did a great job, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which means she did a great job. The the one person that I just, I don't know, I wasn't, I wasn't completely sold by Mark Wahlberg. I, it just felt a little like too much Hollywood mixed in to this movie that should have been dirtier. Mm. Right. I don't have someone who I think would be better. You know, I think Mark Wahlberg did the absolute best job he could have done in this role And it was, so it wasn't like a performance thing on his part. I think he, his performance was great. He he did really good job. It was more about just him being the role, like, you know, and I know that this was, I think this was like his baby, right? He like really wanted to make this movie. He worked on it for a long time. So, so that's, that's fine. And I think that he did a really great job at that. There were just some moments where I'm like, like I'm seeing Mark Wahlberg. I'm not seeing Mickey, you know? Mm. So But other than that, I thought the story was really, really strong. I mean, for me, the most emotional scene in the whole film was was when when Dickie was getting out of prison and his son, his mom was picking him up and his son ran up to him because you see him and they did such a good job of like showing him transforming. You know, he got clean and then, you know, Mickey won and he starts working out and he's running and he's like you know, doing his best to be his best, to get back with Mickey and back working and back with his son. He's like so mad that his son needs him and he can't be there. And then to see his son running to him and, and being able to be there is like so good. But I'm really glad you played that clip because the also like one of the best scenes for me too uh, in the, in this film was the scene right after that where Mickey takes the cake. And he goes to the house and you think, oh, shit, here we go. He's, you know, and he just hands them the cake and he keeps walking. And he and then and you're thinking that might be it. But no, he goes to Charlene's and he makes he's he's like, I'm not only going to make amends for me, I'm going to make it for Mickey. And I'm and like what Mickey needs now is all of us. So I'm going to swallow my pride and I'm going to go to Charlene and I'm going to make up because and, and, he needs us. And he says that he needs you. He needs me. He, he needs us all. And then Mickey shows up and he says, okay, go get O'Keefe back. He said, all right. And he just starts walking. You know, it's like the fire he had for drugs and for getting high before now his fire is his brother hmm. again. And his fire is fighting again. And his fire is, is, he has a new purpose. And I think that that's, you know, more than, you know, I my family has been touched by this, this, epidemic this drug epidemic a lot too and i think that a lot of it a lot of the reason why people go to that is because they don't have a purpose or they lose their purpose right they lose like their goal Mm -hmm. and he lost his goal right so i think in his head you know so the sugar ray leonard thing the whole did he trip or did he knock him down right he says oh yeah i knocked down sugar ray but he knows in his heart sugar ray really tripped and he knows that and so like even though he quote unquote knocked Sugar Ray down, that was that was not enough. Like that wasn't it. And then it just is, you know, snowballed into this, into him going down that path. And I think the story that they tell is really good. I think the direction was really good. The cinematography was fantastic. It was very hard to watch, but very enjoyable. And one thing that I think that, and I'll I'll stop here in a second and let you talk, but one thing that I think that that Wahlberg did really well was that he was really loving to everyone no matter what he like never raised his voice it seemed like until maybe that moment yeah and other than that and, and you know the other moment when he went and saw Mick, uh or when he went and saw Dickie in the in the jail and then he like left he's like I'm gonna fight in my own way or whatever so a couple of times he raises his voice but for the most part, he's like, I'm going to give you chance after chance after chance. And you're going to stab me in the back or prove me wrong, whatever. And I'm not going away because you're family. And that it was just so loving and strong of a character. And I bought that from Mark Wahlberg. So I think he did a, a really good job in that.
1: I did, too. I really loved yeah, that character. And he what I think Wahlberg brings to it is he has this really tough exterior, but He plays it with this really soft gentility. And I think that just comes across really well, especially given all the context around him, right? Like you said, um, he never really raises his voice. And I love that scene because throughout the film, we're seeing him just kind of nod and agree to everything. Like Dickie's constantly saying, I taught him everything he knows. And his mom's like, yeah, he taught him everything he knows. And, And Mickey just nods and goes along with it, You know, which it almost makes it sound like, mickey is a non-person like he doesn't even really exist mm-hmm. he's just a, a conduit for his brother's brilliance you know and it, right. it just steals so much away from him it, but he goes along with it because he loves his family and he wants to be uh doing right by them and then charlene comes along and gives him some confidence and then he has the the courage after charlene leaves and he knocks his brother down right they get in the ring sparring knocks him down he gets in you know on his mom about why can't it just for once be me why can't it be my fight everything's always about dicky you forget that i'm your son too and he's fighting for himself and you're just like wow yeah i didn't really realize that his mom really doesn't ever like stick up for him and do what's best for him and at points you understand it you understand that that's happening but you really i really only was looking at it through the context of oh this is a typical like family taking advantage of the the star of the family and I just kind of neglected to see him as a son who's being ignored by his mom and that was just a completely different Mm -hmm. angle it's one thing to feel like yeah this parent is taking advantage of their kid it's another thing to feel like they're not even really giving him any attention in the process because most families I feel like that I've seen you know this that story play out of yeah we're just kind of writing our kid to fame and fortune they do tend to just dote on that kid like they do what they need yeah. you know especially in public and then in private maybe you know they're abusive or or they overcompensate by being still doting over the top and in this case it was neither of that it was none of that it was mm-hmm. like what it's guilt it was all come you know just using guilt to, to achieve their ends and for him to kind of finally stand his ground and say, you know, where's the love for me as your son was a really, it was a really good moment. And Melissa Leo is so good. And you feel totally. her wrestling match because she has this really great, I don't know, method of, and she is not method. I remember reading the interview a long time ago when Frozen River came out and, they were asking about her technique and she's like i don't have a technique the the scene is calling for me to do a thing i just go in there and i i generate that thing it's like that's all that's it is cool. it's, it is cool it's really inspiring because as actors we always hear about all these techniques and you know the method technique and there's a lot of ways to do method acting some of it is i become this character and then some of it's I just imagine what this character goes through and I try to identify with that world that I build in my head for them and for her to just kind of, and there's other, you know, Uta Hagen like substitution and there's all kinds of techniques and for her to just be like, nah, I don't do any of that. The scene says, you know, I'm supposed to be a upset mother. I go in and I'm just an upset mother or whatever. Joaquin Phoenix does that really or a
0: version of that. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't cause he was asked one time about playing Joker and if that, like affected him. Mm. He's like, no, you know, and, and he did this whole interview of he'll walk on, he'll walk onto the set, he'll do a scene, and he'll just leave, right? Yeah, and just like they'll just do it. They'll yell cut, and he's like out. And he's he says, I just leave it there. Like, why? Yeah, like, no big deal. That's interesting. That's interesting. That's
1: awesome because I don't think people understand how actually draining it can be whenever you you start channeling these energies. Like, I. Early on, whenever I was first getting into acting, I would do my best. I I learned Samuda Hagen, and I was really working on substitution and channeling these really bad memories in order to get a specific performance out. And you leave, and you're just toast. And mm-hmm. I had to be very careful, because depending on what energy or memories I'm summoning, it would mess me up for a week. Like, I'd spend a week now in this headspace that I created for, you know, this two hour scene it's like that's not beneficial and i realized right then and there i was like i got to be careful what when i pull this out of the hat because i can't summon that stuff that i can't put back in the box that's not yeah. healthy and that can lead to some devastating outcomes and so yeah i i love her for that that she's you know doing her own thing and she has her own that's cool style for sure but that scene whenever she finds dicky in the in the crack house and she kind of pulls him mm-hmm. out and They get into the car and he starts singing to her. Man, on the page, I bet that looked just hokey and just silly to have him sing a song and then to have her join in. But her performance and his performance together was just wow. That was an
0: yeah,
1: a cocktail, you know, that definitely knocked me out. Just beautiful. And so yeah, I mean, the that that scene, I love that too, because you know, the scene that you're talking about after that that's that clip that we played where he's walking with a cake and he's going to the, the crack house and they set it up so well because they never literally say, and they didn't have to, Oh, I know he's going to the crack house. You know, they hint at it. They have George step outside and he's like, Hey, where are you going? And Dickie is like, I got to do something. And George is like, I know what that means. And they're kind of letting us build in our head the the fall from grace, um, especially yeah. given that scene when, Charlene is right there challenging him. Oh, yeah, how long is that going to last? And so they're just very subtly building it because we spent the first hour of the film watching him fall apart. And now we're just kind of waiting for that relapse. And then you see the gang and they're all welcoming him back. And he's got this cake and you're like, oh, what is this? And he's like, hey, I got something I got to do. I think he gives him the cake, right? And Charlene is. He gives him the cake. Charlene's yeah. like, what's that on she's your like, what is arm? That? He's like, icing. And that's it. That's the end of that. Yeah. She's just like, yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know what to do with that. Like, why is there okay. icing on your arm, Dickie? But whenever you deal with those kind of people, that's just the kind of stuff that happens. You just see icing on their arm, and you're just like, yeah, okay. I don't want to know the story behind that. <laughs> like, <laughs> we can move Dude. on. <laughs> I, I love when he's
0: trying to get when he's trying to get Charlene to come outside yeah. He's yelling to her and she's yelling at him. And then and then it, at, at the very end of it, he's like he just, he's like just mouthing me. to her words and not saying anything. It's like the best way to trump someone yelling at you is to be as quiet as possible. And that's what won her, I guess, won her over, I guess, you know, if you want to call it Yeah, he didn't match that
1: energy for like the first time in this entire movie. He was the the first person who didn't yell (laughs) outside of Mickey. Like, yeah,
0: everyone's yelling all the time. And it was a it was a really I love that you played that clip, too, because Wahlberg or Mickey calling out Charlene for being like them Mm. was such an important thing that. You know, because you're sitting there thinking Charlene is his savior. Yeah. You know, Charlene is different than everybody. But in that moment, he's right. She's very much acting just like them. And for him to call her out on that, not only enlightens her a little bit, even though she doesn't accept it, it enlightens us yeah. as as to like, oh, it's very easy to go along with someone who's having success and think that you're the good guy, even though it might be possible that you are using them in some Way or not, even if not using, you're definitely affecting and taking advantage of that in, in a way, possibly
1: 100%. So. And they even follow it up with that conversation between her and uh, Dickie because she's right. calling Dickie to the floor and saying, You know, you didn't knock him out or you didn't knock him down, yes. Sugar Ray. And he's like, All right, yeah, you know what? I was in that ring, I know better than anybody because actually, if you watch that clip, he shoves it's not even a punch, he shoves Sugar Ray and Sugar Ray slips. And you have to watch it slowly or else you don't really see, you know, what happened. And so what does he do? He, he owns it without ever actually saying it out loud. And then he flips it on her and he's like, but you got to admit, you haven't done anything either. You're a failure too. Yeah. And she, you know, you see her eyes just go red. Oh my God. God, she's Amazing good acting. God, she's good. <laughs> and she, she does. She owns it. She's like, all right. Cause you know, this whole time she's been walking around like, everyone else is beneath her and that's her ego and her pride kind of covering up for her own failures and that's just a beautiful character and uh and performance kind of demonstrating all that and i mean this whole movie is just filled this whole the story of it is just interesting like mickey is completely unaffected by violence i love that about his character like you see in the bar he's over there talking to charlene and someone you know he's very gentle Mm -hmm. and someone talks smack and then he just grabs a guy and starts slamming him. he's like, you don't talk to her that way. And then he lets her go. And then he gets her number. And that's, there's this great little moment that happens, right? He gets her number and he turns around and he's talking to her. I'm mm-hmm. guessing that's his dad. It's funny. They don't call their parents yeah. mom and dad it's it's right. you know alice and names. george <laughs> and he turns around he's got the napkin and the fight breaks out and he is just yeah he just keeps walking doesn't care he is still celebrating he's <laughs> like that, that has nothing to do with me i got a number yeah and then you know when dicky hits george he's just kind of standing there he doesn't jump he doesn't flinch he doesn't say anything he's like in fact he kind of just talks trash to george he's like what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> What what's that about? <laughs> Dickie might be like not healthy, but he knows what he's doing. He's still a boxer. If you don't know a, yeah. what a boxer is capable of, you'll fool yourself into thinking you know that you can beat him. And boxing is not about brute force. It's about technique yeah. and and skill and and balance. It's very little about brute force. Yeah, and I love that because even though he's a gentle soul violence is normal in his world, you know? And, you know, he just plays that so beautifully. And even, Oh, there's this great little moment when we first meet him, uh, whenever he goes to pick, pick up his little girl or to just say bye to her. Cause he's got this big fight coming up and his ex comes to the door alongside her new husband. Mm-hmm. And I love this scene because normally, if you have like an ex, their new, significant other is gonna be your enemy. And in this case, like he's appealing to his ex-wife's husband instead of trying to appeal to his ex-wife. Like that's the good guy. That's the guy that I can talk to. And that's when you see kind of, you know, Mickey's fire, you know, come out. But this whole film, this whole film is kind of this trashy shit show that I identified with as, you know, someone who grew up in trailers and the the redneck lifestyle. And it's just filled with this texture of like Dickie's missing training because he's in a crack house. And of course, his mom is willingly like ignoring it, pretending to not know when she probably knows. But she just won't let that kind of surface in her head and and acknowledge it in any meaningful way. And Mm -hmm. you have like Dickie talk and his and his mom like talking Mickey into this fight, a horrible fight like, oh, my gosh. This guy's got 20 pounds on him and in a street fight, that doesn't mean anything in a boxing match. That means everything like you train for months to get to a fighting weight. And even that fighting weight is a lie because you show up in on weigh-in day, like dehydrated, haven't eaten all day, like, and that could give you an, you know, an extra 10 pounds. And so if this guy's showing up 20 pounds over, he's probably got a good 30 pounds on him. Like and yeah. every ounce of muscle was built with a purpose. Yeah, this there was a complete misfire. And that's just, you know, Mickey trying to believe in his his, his folks, his, his family. And just to kind of highlight all of that, right? They have like the ring card girl falling down, getting into the ring. Yeah, it's a total debacle. Yeah, a debacle, a complete debacle. <laughs> Their family's on the, on the ring side and Dickie isn't even paying attention to the fight. Like he's over here giving shout outs to Sugar Ray when yeah. his, his brothers looking at the monster that's about to take his head off. And he's like, what are we going to do? And, and Dickie's over here, Sugar. <laughs> hey, Sugar. Hey, it's me. You remember me, man? They ESPN really screwed us. And he's just like, what is going on? This is a complete shit show. And then the rest of the film is, has that tenor to it. Like there's a fight that breaks out on the porch, right? The girl, his girlfriends fighting his sisters, it's all just mm-hmm. complete trash. Mickey, oh my gosh, before he's on his uh, upswing, he's getting dressed for his fight across the street from the boxing match. Like, that's so wild to think that your boxing match doesn't have, like, a locker room for you to change into. That's how low caliber of a fight he was getting into. There's no green room. And it's just silly. It's like, wow.
0: And then running into the other fighter on the yeah, way.
1: that's right, yeah. <laughs> So good, so good. So good. It really sets the tone for like, oh, oh, that's the caliber of, of lifestyle that we're dealing with right now. And I think the most heartbreaking kind of highlight of it all before we begin kind of the reversal is Dickie finds out, right? We're in the we're in the locker room after that whole back and forth or right before the back and forth, I guess. And Dickie finds out Mickey's cutting him out like you can't train me anymore. You can't be a part of this and mickey exits and Dicky's just starts slamming the lockers like he gets so upset and his son is watching and his son gets up and he starts punching the lockers too and that's such a heartbreaking moment to kind of see this cycle beginning you're like oh man this is the next generation Dicky right now and it's really really you know just soul crushing because up until that point it's kind of hilarious and this Kind of, I don't know, episode of cops kind of way, right? You're just like, oh man, look at these hillbillies that don't have their act together, and then you see this, and you're like, oh no, there's got to be a better way. And so that's when the family, you know, fight kind of takes place, and they start trying to really work out their 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 problems in a healthy way. I mean, sure, there's still some fighting and yelling, but I think you can do that and be healthy, you know, or at least find your healthy path through that. And so. Yeah, I was just like, man, this whole show is this whole film is just kind of painting like a lot of types of fighting. Um, and and it's it's heartbreaking to see what Mickey is trying to fight through and fight for. It's it's unique. I don't know how many boxing films kind of take this approach of we're fighting against our own family. I mean, I can think of So who who do you think is the fighter? I know, that's the question I kept wrestling with because the, the knee jerk is obviously say Mickey, but <laughs> then you see what Dickie's fighting through and you're like, oh, yeah. Maybe it's a metaphor for the fighter that's in all of us. Like we're all mm-hmm. in the ring. Mm-hmm. yeah. And it's easy. I mean, we say this probably for the past two episodes. It's like boxing is such a good analogy, metaphor for life and you know, us dealing with our own stuff because at the end of the day, we're all in the ring by ourselves fighting for for ourselves. Um, and even, even if you're fighting for other people, you still have to fight against yourself to, to will yourself Mm -hmm. to, to victory. And in that way, I mean, did you find the the climax, a little anticlimactic in a sense, like it didn't feel like this beautifully constructed win, right? Like he starts getting his legs under him and he starts swinging and he, you know, he, he wins the day, knocks him down, he gets up, knocks him down again. And that's that. And to me, the climax was just okay. It it was nice. I was I wanted him to win for sure, but it didn't feel sweet. It didn't feel sweet until the interview afterwards, when you see him and Dickie. And I'm I'm assuming this is part of the HBO. No, 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 no. It was almost like an addendum to the HBO doc, because the HBO doc had already aired, and now they're kind of making this addendum interview. And it's like Dickie is tearing up and he's like, just so proud of his brother. He's like, that's Was he say that's the pride of LOL? Used to be me, now it's him. I gotta go. (laughs) And he just
0: (laughs) And and he tears up and he's gotta gotta go. And Wahlberg just sits there like, hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's it's that's that's a great part. Yeah.
1: What did you think about the climax? So did the fight feel worthy, or did it feel just super true to life? Like this is the way fights end. It's not always with this perfect bang. It's like,
0: yeah, it was anticlimactic for me. For sure. Mostly because this movie wasn't about fighting, you yeah. know, again, as most <laughs> boxing movies are, at least really good ones. <clears throat> They're not really about fighting. And this really wasn't. And yeah, I guess uh, it's a that's a good point. It it wasn't uh, as to why it wasn't fully, you know, like I wasn't like jumping up at the end to like cheering for for Mickey. You know, I was, uh, you yeah, know, like you said, hoping he would win. But <clears throat> when he did win. It was just okay, cool. And it was cool that that you know, that Dickie was screen you know, yelling head body, head body he was doing head body and stuff. I think specifically like just the boxing itself wasn't as high caliber as like maybe the other movies that we saw, like like Creed, you know, yeah. or or Rocky. Like they were just a like the the main punch that he throws that hurts him. In the side, that would never happen. Mm. Like his his opponent literally didn't move, waited for it to happen. Like they show it like three different mm. angles, right? He's just sitting there like this, and and Mickey punches him and then comes around and punches him in the side, but he doesn't move at all. It's like okay that that wouldn't happen, man. Yeah. That kind of took me out of it a little bit, but because they had the little interview on the couch at the end after it, I was okay with it. Yeah. If it would have just cut, you know, like how like a lot of mm. boxing movies do or like, you know, they freeze frame <laughs> at the end, arms up and then roll credits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't, I think it would have been a much different movie. It goes back to your adage of, of a uh, first frame, last frame. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, what are you, what are you seeing? Right. Yeah. And I think that that tells, tells a, the last frame tells a really interesting story first. They're both there on the couch and then Dickie leaves and it's just, just Mickey just sitting there. Cause he was the one that did it all. He was the one that fought, you know, he was the one that will at least was in the ring. Right. Yeah. And it's a, maybe a little bit of symbolism of, of Dickie leaving and letting him have the spotlight at the very end, you know, like doing, that was his job. It was like, okay, I got him to where he needs to be, you know, and there he is maybe
1: yeah no i agree it was a, it was a good ending i mean and and part of it too was like and i think it just plays into this is just this is a real story it's about real people and real people do i think speeches in real life are very rarely good like the the whole yeah. this is this is your moment you know seize it do what you got to do and it's usually perfectly scripted but here like the 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 speech dicky gives them is so it's perfect because it's, it's real life and it's terrible because Dickie's over here kind of being selfish in his, in his speech. It's like, I had my chance and I didn't take it. Like I I was in the ring with Sugar Ray, like do what I couldn't do. And it's like, why are you, are still, and it's such a Dicky thing, you know, you're yeah. still making it about you. <laughs> like I'm in the title yeah. fight right now. And all you're thinking about is you and how to motivate me by you. And it's like, that's, that's real life. That's what people do. Yeah. And it's yeah. like the worst method of motivation. And although, you know, maybe in this case, that was exactly what he needed to hear, or maybe it pissed him off and he was like, I'm going in there and I'm fighting Dickie right now. <laughs> like, and he just came to life. <laughs> I don't know, but it, yeah, I agree. It, it it was fine. It It served its purpose, but the interview is what really kind of topped it off for me for sure. yeah Yeah. so i'll dive into a little bit of cinematography because i like david russell films and the way he shoots it's very much this style that i would enjoy shooting so cinematography wise a lot of handheld and steady cam very simple but what i really love about his his cinematography is he has this kind of roaming camera style often it's not every scene every scene you know he he analyzes and says what does the scene need but i love whenever he's doing this kind of freestyle is he's letting the, the camera kind of pan between characters talking. It might roam down to look at their hands. Like it's it's like we're a person in the room and we're just kind of looking at things. And I think if you do enough of those takes, you can put together a very strong edit that allows for this kind of naturalism, this natural cam- camera language to arrive. And it might be the kind of thing that he's also scripting with his his camera op and he's like, yeah, here's what I want to do after he delivers this line. Let's go ahead and look over here and that's fine but it also leaves a lot of room for the camera op to, to take chances especially if you have the budget and the time it's like yeah we'll do now maybe we'll do one for for the camera op do what it, if there's something you've been wanting to do try it out like just go for it and that's nice whenever you're shooting on film and you can you have the budget to to kind of burn film but it works because it follows the action and he does this a lot he'll let the characters determine the blocking instead of Making the the actors work around your your camera movement. And that's much more satisfying as an actor to be able to walk in and say, here's what the scene should be, and we're just going to play it as actors. And there's times, and I don't know how much of this film contained this, but there's a lot of his films where he just will let the actors go and and capture it and just wherever the scene takes them it takes them and i feel like this is also a very duplass brothers style where you're just you're in the room and you're letting these actors just be and that it's tricky like you kind of gotta commit to a brighter scene usually so that you can have a a deeper field of focus so that you're you're not messing up the the focus pools because the last thing you want is to have someone deliver an important line and they're out of focus and and you may not even realize that, you know, on the day, if you're just doing take after take. And so everyone has to be very sharp. Your producers need to be in the video village, watching saying, oh, no, hey, you he missed, side note, he missed this, the, the focus pool on this moment, because, or whoever else you have in your camp, like paying attention and saying, yeah, this worked or didn't. Because depending on the kind of director you are, you may not even be watching the camera or the uh, the monitors. You may be watching the scene instead of the the monitor and miss all that stuff, the Mm -hmm. technical aspects. And I don't I'm not sure what kind of director David Russell is on 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 that level, but I love his style so much. Like there's a scene where the mom, Alice, goes to find Dickie in the crack house and she walks out back and we cut to Dickie jumping into the dumpster Mm -hmm. and we pan from that. We track that shot and then we pan over to see his mom reacting and just kind of the the disappointment and then we pan back to watch Dicky's shame come over his face as he realizes oh my mom just witnessed all of this and that's all one nice take like the the jump to her reaction to his reaction and it's beautiful it sells you on this moment instead of having these hard cuts like you're you're feeling it all in real time and it's just perfect and a lot of what he does and i don't think he does it too much in this film but he really seems to be a fan of 360 lighting which is the ability to kind of light a room in a way that actors can move anywhere without messing up their their lighting whereas a lot of shots you specifically set up a lighting setup so that an actor can have a close-up or a medium shot and they have a certain amount of movement that they can do but they can't leave their their little space like don't walk out of that or else you're gonna ruin the lighting. And and if it is a longer you know, sequence where they're gonna walk and walk around, then you got a light for that. Whereas the 360 lighting, they can kind of just roam around doing whatever they want. But I don't know how much of that they did in this film. I think the boxing scenes were 360, which was you know probably as much of a normal boxing scenario <laughs> as any, because it's very hot, you know, you got these hot lights, it's a little blown out in the lighting. And that, yeah, that just felt like normal boxing lighting. But what they did a lot of was a a natural lighting, which is different from practical lighting. I'm a fan of practicals. And that just means that you're lighting the scene from the scene itself. Like practical might be, you have a lamp, but that lamp is just a practical. It's just there for the scene, for the mise-en-scene, for, to see what's in the scene. And it's just a prop, more or less. It's not actually creating lighting for your actors. And so you might have that lamp, but off, off, uh, off camera, you have another light that's kind of casting light as if it's coming from the lamp when in fact it's not. We're, so practical lighting would be you actually have those practicals providing light for your your scene and you're, you're not having these, all these other off camera lights rigged up that's different from natural lighting. So that kind of lighting, practical lighting is like available lighting. You walk in, maybe just what's available to you. Oh, this house has lamps. So we're going to shoot with these lamps and we're going to shoot with the, the sun coming through the windows. Now in this film, they do a lot of natural lighting, which is different from available lighting because the natural lighting is trying to create a look as if it is natural, as if it is available light. And to do that can be very tricky. You bring in all these. That's confusing. Yeah, it is. It is because you might say as someone who's not a filmmaker, you might walk into a filmmaker and say, yeah, I want to shoot, you know, natural lighting. And they're like, oh, and they probably already know what you mean. They, they're, they're like, okay, well, here's the thing. That lighting that you think is natural lighting is not literally quote unquote natural lighting. That's there. There's a really big light coming out of the window, outside the window, blasting into the window. That's creating all this light that makes it feel like it's coming from the sun. That's what we call natural lighting. You're imitating natural lighting whereas available lighting is literally you're shooting with what is available. So one is kind of a pretense, like you're you're creating a style. The other is no, you you have what you have based what's already in the scene or what yes I probably talked myself into a circle there. So by all means, (laughs) no, no, I just
0: want to get this straight because this is very important. So available lighting is using what you've got, right? Practical lighting is using the actual things that are available. Practical lighting lighting is using. How is that different from practical?
1: So, yeah, because practical, you are using lamps to light. Right. So, I mean, I kind of, you know, Skewed my my terminology a little bit there because in my notes okay. I put practical lighting. But got it. Available lighting is using practicals. Okay, got it. In order to light the scene. And so So what's what's the difference
0: between like using the lamp to light the scene as a practical, right? Yeah. And using the lamp to just be there and lighting the scene with an actual light to look like the lamp is lighting.
1: Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't know what terminology I would call that other than just your lighting. Is that natural? Yeah. I guess it, no, I would. Because you're using like a, like a Kino or something. Yeah, exactly. So natural lighting is usually more referencing daylight. Like it's usually kind of a reference to sunlight. Like, oh, we're going to, we're going to do some natural lighting. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a really good, you know, point to make. Whereas everything else is usually just you're lighting your scene. I don't know if there's a more appropriate term, but yeah, like kinos or tungsten, HMIs, or whatever that you have off camera that is lighting your set. Set lighting, I guess, would be the the, the technical term as opposed Got to, it. yeah, available light. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Sorry. Oh, uh, I might, I might throw thing. some links in there in case uh, you're walking away from this more confused than before. but the idea is natural lighting is not actually natural. It's a, it's a fake style in order to give the appearance of natural lighting of usually daylight and available lighting is usually using practicals to light your scene and practicals are just the things that you see within a scene. Those are going to be your lamps and your, whatever your headlights, flashlight. Those are all Mm -hmm. practicals. Those are props within a scene itself.
0: Yeah. Gotcha. And they
1: use natural lighting. Yeah. And this, it looked like they were going for a lot of natural lighting, especially in the okay. daylight scenes where they're all sitting inside. Yeah. If you look in those scenes, none of those lamps are on. Like they're not motivating any of the light coming from within the apartment. Oh, yeah. It's all coming from out, outside. Yeah. Okay. So maybe we've worked cool. through. <laughs> no, uh, no. that that's, I do it all the time where, where really I, I start talking and I realize in editing, I was like, oh, I said the wrong freaking term there, <laughs> and all the time. So it's all right. It's all right. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> so just, just ADR that. But one of the cool things is he picks his moments, you know, because he doesn't heavily mm-hmm. light his scenes in this very stylistic way. But he—it's not that he doesn't do that. So like, there's a a lot of his lighting is uh, set for like these mediums. And you can do some a lot more detail work when you're doing like close-ups and whatnot because he doesn't do a lot of like three-point lighting where you have, you know, three lights creating a lot of dynamic uh, contrast and depth on a person's face. But there is one scene that I noticed like, oh, he really strongly lit this, which was after the movie theater on his date with Charlene, they go out to the car and he cuts to these close-ups and they're very nicely lit because this is the scene where, you know, she's kind of accepting him for who he is and he's allowing her, you know, to see who he is and they go in for the, you know, their first kiss and it's a big moment. And so they, they have some really nice three point lighting going on there. They have a nice backlight that, that creates a nice rim light around their faces. And then they have, you know, a a nice general lighting and some nice fill lighting. Yeah. So it's, he picks his moments and I love watching David or Russell movies for that. Like, American Hustle was really big on 360 lighting cuz these characters Ooh, man, are running man. around in the scene and it's chaos, you know, and it's it's perfect for that. And some of these scenes I you know, they feel like they could have been 360 but it didn't feel like he utilized it. Like that clip that we played, they're all in the the ring together, but They're not like crossing over. They're not like walking around and really mixing it up too much. Instead, it's like, we are got are coverage over here for Mickey and we got coverage over here for Alice and coverage over here. And so they're all separate setups that he probably ended up lighting separately. But he could have, if he felt like, I want to see all these characters clashing together, he could have lit that for 360 and had like Charlene walk over to Dickie and like get in his face and and then walk back over to, to Mickey and like, Call him out and say, "Hey, this isn't our agreement." He he could have done that, but instead, he kind of let everybody sit in their own space and and lit it yeah and let it that way yeah
0: that that's man that's a great point and like looking at those they're so spread out in that scene yeah they're all over the place I mean you got O'Keefe in the corner yeah. uh, of the ring you got Mickey in the middle of the ring away from Charlene who's who's at the ropes. Mm-hmm sitting down at first and then you've got Dicky way over by the door and his mom is in between them it's like and then you've got the the sponsor guy who's outside the ring like in in front of you it's just they're literally encompassing the entire space uh, of that that <laughs> and they never break the 180 rule you know they're right yeah that you know they even to show the guy that's beh- that seemingly is behind you whenever you see Charlene, they just pull the camera back, yeah, right, yeah. so the camera is is i think it's always out of the ring, but they just pull it back to and to show him right and it's just really 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 well done to like make any make and I guess it's important because they are separated, yeah, they're all being separated right now, so we have to like have them spread it spread out rather than keep them you know like close feeling close together. You did such a good job of doing that.
1: Yeah. You really, you're that's, that's a really good point because there is so much disconnect between all the, all the parties and it's not even all family. Like you said, O'Keefe is over there and he's just a trainer and you have, you know, George trying to stay out of it, but you know, yeah, everyone is kind of fighting for themselves in to some degree or another. And yeah, it's, it it was important to keep them all, you know, broken up that way. Wow. Gosh. Yeah. Very cool. I don't know. I love David Russell films. I, Love, you know, I I was surprised he didn't write this one. Uh, Normally, he does a lot of his his own writing. And and in this case, not so much, which is pretty fascinating. I think
0: I want to say Mark Wahlberg. Like, I don't know that. I think like this was he was like he like wanted to work on this for a long time. That's cool. I think it was like a like a a project that he said that he wanted to do for years or whatever. So then so I think he was like tagged to to be it for a long time i don't know and they've worked on you
1: know other projects before Wahlberg and russell Mm -hmm. they did three kings and i heart huckabees and i don't know maybe one other i Heart huckabees yeah man forever ago yeah yeah so i don't know that's all i got awesome what would you give it Ooh, that's a tough one probably maybe like a seven out of ten three and a half stars like it's like you said and here's the thing the performances are absolutely phenomenal and christian bell just steals the day and it's hard for me to say that because i've gotten to a place where i don't really like reenactments anymore like i feel like biographies are a bit of a uh, or biopics are a bit of a cheat code because you have someone to model after and it's just yeah. like how good is your your ability to do an impression but Dickie is such a wild character and christian bell does such an incredible job of channeling that manic energy and he's just erratic and hilarious and endearing and you understand you see how he wins people over constantly and it's both frustrating and endearing at the same time and so and it's such a good performance that i yeah like i can't begrudge him you know that at all yeah so mm-hmm. for me seven out of ten i think what about you
0: i think it's that's a good number i was gonna say seven, seven and a half mm. but yeah I, I think i'll go with seven and a half i'd i'd loved amy adams in this movie i I think to me this is one of her best performances i mean she's really good in a lot of movies i don't really i'm not like a huge amy adams fan but i do like a lot of the stuff that she does in this one especially i think she perfectly cast she destroys it i i I love how she talks to to charlene or not charlene Mm. i'm sorry to alice I yeah. love how she talks to Alice. Like, <laughs> like when they meet, she's like, who's this girl? I'm Charlene. We just met. Yeah. <laughs> you want to do this again? <laughs> or whatever. It's so, so good. Just, I don't, I'm not trying to impress you. Yeah. You know, I'm here. I'm his girlfriend. Fuck off. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, just fantastic. So f- because of her, I'm going to give it a seven and a half.
1: That's awesome. She's yeah. great. Yeah. Strong. In, Strong one. So what are you going to recommend this week?
0: Yes. Yeah, so, so I'm going to kind of go totally away from boxing and fighting to the, to a show that I'm just now catching up on or getting into and catching up on that I know is like old hat and has been around forever. And I, and I never watched it. There's six seasons, but my wife and I are, are binging getting through it, it is shits Creek. I just absolutely love this show. Everything about it, all the characters, the writing is amazing. I love that there's six seasons, so I have a lot to, <laughs> to watch. But I'm just in love with all the characters. And as time goes on, I'm in love with them even more and even more. And I just want to hang out with them all. And Catherine O'Hara is just unbelievable. And it's on Netflix, so it's free. So you can, well, with the subscription, obviously. But go watch it. I mean, from the pretty much the beginning, you'll fall in love with this show. It's so good.
1: That's awesome. Just Greek. I'll co-sign yeah. that. Hmm. nice yeah i'm gonna recommend since you i had something else lined up but since you started raving about amy adams i'm going to recommend and her breakout role was in a tiny little indie film called junebug yeah she is so good i mean watch it just for her performance the movie's fine but she's absolutely magical and yeah so junebug go watch that indie film i don't even know if it streams anywhere it's one of these you might have to like go down to the corner and, and like buy for five bucks off, you know, some sketchy guy, <laughs> <laughs> but all right. Oh, so next week, are we doing this? Is that, is that what we're doing next week? Is that what you wanted sure. to do?
0: I mean, yeah, I don't think that we, yeah, we're off boxing now. Right.
1: Yeah. That's
0: yeah. All right. Why not? Let's do it. All right. Let's, cause cause we, I mean, <laughs> Do we have another one? Do you have another idea?
1: Yeah. I mean, always, always got something lined up. What else you got? Uh, It could be, we could go on a small Robin Williams bender and do dead poet society. Let's do that.
0: Okay. I I think let's do that. (laughs) I I want, I've been actually, this is funny that you suggested that because I've been, I've been on this Robin Williams kick of like just finding little scenes Mm. that he's done that are and just watching those and kind of like in series and it's just it's just so good Nice.
1: i would love that very cool all right well so yeah stay tuned next week we will start a small robin williams marathon three films and we'll start with dead poet society so don't forget to subscribe review us on itunes oh my god shout out to alex for dropping the best oh yeah review on the on the pod like guys y'all got to step your game up like she just destroyed it i might read yeah. the opening salvo if i can open it fast enough because we are vamping <laughs> and so she <laughs> wrote <laughs> here. alex said have been listening to the pestle for a while now but haven't quite been able to put into words how much i love this pod i've always been in the film but it wasn't until the pandemic that my interest developed into a passion and being able to share the magic of film with todd and wes has been awesome listening is like being in a room with two really knowledgeable fun best friends and i'll leave it from there the rest is really great i want everybody to go read it while you drop your own review <laughs> as well and try to top her i noticed too and this bummed me out while looking at her review someone gave us a one star and i was like oh man like we already had a three star rating hmm. which okay you know what that's fine who drops a one star break my heart one star wow loser i think uh whatever i think someone wrote you know what we've made it that's true we've made it until you have a hater (laughs) you haven't made it
0: yeah once you have someone that just hates you so much they're gonna go in take the time to give you a bad review you've
1: made it Um, i'm happy thank you this has made my day one star person way to reframe that man i respect that so much (laughs) And so don't forget to subscribe if you got hate. And if you want us to, to cover something, she made a request that which you will know if you want to know what she requested that we're going to do after this little Robin Williams marathon, you will get a, oh, yeah. a peek, sneak peek, a peek sneak at, uh, <laughs> at what that is by checking out her review. And yeah. And if you want to leave us a note on this episode to tell us why this is the best boxing movie ever, better than Rocky Creed, Million dollar baby, Southpaw, Raging Bull, Southpaw, so many, then you can do that at the Pestpodcast.com slash the fighter.
0: And our quote of the day is from Mike Tyson. Everyone has a plan till they get punched in the mouth. Have you ever been punched?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It's not fun. Like
0: not just sparring, like like actual fight.
1: Like someone decked me. I mean, even outside of like I used to fight with my brothers all the time growing up. But even outside of that, yeah. I remember my best friend punched me in the mouth once. Oh yeah. Like I had a big bloody nose. We were on the playground. Nice. I, was, I think we were, how old was this? Like second grade, first grade. What? And in kindergarten. So my growing up, my best friend, Sam, and I got in a fight in kindergarten. He, he did something that I got upset about and I chased him around, Hard. Hard. got him on the ground and was choking him. And <laughs> he got up, ran and... <laughs> He ran around the corner, picked up a stick and he's like, "Don't you come near me?" And I started walking forward and he like threw the stick and it nailed me in the head. So like I was bleeding and Ooh. I come around the corner bloodied, you know, my head is just wounded. and of course he gets sus- suspended and in trouble. and after that we were best <laughs> friends all the way up until graduation. And that's all. <laughs> <laughs> and so a few years after that, he and I were on a, a seesaw. And there's a thing everybody knows on a seesaw where it, when it's your turn to go down, you can pick your feet up and just slam yourself into the ground, which uh, bucks the other person that's going up. Right. And it's like you can you can toss someone. And he wasn't about that life. He was like, don't do that. And I was like, OK, I won't do that. And Clarice, one of the other kids in our school, whenever I was going down, she came over and she jumped on the, the thing and it made me fly down and pop and he he fell off and he had a a sucker in his mouth. And so he fell off the, the seesaw and I got freaked out. I was like, are you? And I ran up to him. Are you okay? Okay. And he starts yelling at me. I told you. And he just winds up and like clocks me. (laughs) Wow. Uh, And I'm pretty, how old were you? Oh man. Like seven. (laughs) seven yeah. two
0: fights by the time you're in second grade yeah what the hell like,
1: although i that was one and done like he he won that one too and i think his victory also <laughs> got him another suspension <laughs> but it's awesome yeah i don't know i mean i've outside of like actual like boxing uh i don't know if i've really been in that many fights just here and there scuffles no yeah. no, no drag down you've been punched in the mouth yeah one time
0: i mean i was in some scuffles and stuff in junior high but in, in high school. I, I was dating a girl who apparently had a boyfriend and I knew that she had dated this guy, but you I thought they were home over. Wrecker. Yeah. Apparently. I don't know. Well, they, she told me they were over. Like I don't do that stuff. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we were, <clears throat> I grew up in Houston. We were in the Galleria and we were walking around and I like, you know, that's what you do in high school. You like go to the mall <laughs> And we were walking around, and I will never forget. We walk past Victor. We're walking, we're right in front of Victoria's Secret, right? So there's like glass floor to ceiling, right? Oh and uh, he walks, I, I mean, we're walking, we're holding hands, and he, I can see him. He's like coming and he is booking, like walking fast, and he's angry. And this is, he's, he was bigger than me. He had like three or four inches on me. The guy was tall, but he wasn't like big, right? I played football, so I was, shorter at the time like maybe five eleven, but he he was like 6 2 at least so he but he wasn't big he was lanky mm. he walked up to me and he like he like kind of started getting my face but then she told him she's like stop stop and he turns around and he grabs her arm and says we're leaving and she said ouch so i grabbed his shoulder and pulled him uh, to like you know like like, Hey, stop that. And he turned, he just turned around and he hit me like out of no, not out of nowhere, but I just didn't expect him to just turn around and hit yeah. me. And so this quote really makes me, I like this quote because my reaction was, I got, I guess I got kind of no. no, I guess I got kind of famous in high school after this, because what happened was he hit me. And before I could think of, I didn't think about anything. I hit him back. Like it was like, I mean, Oh shit in a second in like one second my reaction was i'm gonna beat the living <laughs> crap out of this guy and so i hit him back and uh i gave him a black eye but he and then we started fighting or whatever and then we got like i don't know arrested not arrested but like t- detained right by the mall security. gallery of police the mall security Paul Blart. My, and then my dad they, they handcuff us together and they take us to this like and then two minutes the, the one men leave. <laughs> yes. And then the when the when the main, I guess, security guy comes in that didn't handcuff us, he was like, What the hell are you guys doing? We you handcuffed them together? They were just fighting. Give me a break. But my reaction wasn't like to when I got hit, wasn't like to stagger back or like hold my face mm. or my jaw. He cut me. He had a ring on, like a class ring. And so he cut me. Um, and I was bleeding everywhere, but it was like on my chin. And I would normally think, you know, your reaction would be, you know, like, like I said, like either stun or just, you know, to hold yourself yeah. or whatever. But that wasn't it. It was like, oh, this is on, this is happening. And it was very quick. So I felt really good. And so after that, for the next year, cause he was a senior and I was a junior for the rest of the year, I was like, you're the man, not the what? Um, not, yeah, I was the man. I was a man because Travis was big. Oh, I just dropped his name. Uh, he, was, he was a bigger dude. Hey, Travis, it's cool, brother. We're good. You can have her. I think they got married. So Did they really? Fine. Yeah.
1: They got kids. Oh my God. Yeah. I bet, yeah, I bet I, they're, I, they're very functional. Whatever. You can have her. Yeah, It's fine. <laughs> her game it's worked. Good story. Her game worked. But I love that quote. Yeah, right. I love that quote too because it, it's like that with anything. Like You don't know what your game plan is until you know, you find resistance. Like it's one thing for us to go in like, we want to make a movie. And until we're actually on set and we're trying to make this thing, we don't really know what our, what our plan is. We, we have a plan and it's good to go in with one, but you don't know what you're made of. You don't know what you're going to have to fight until you're there in the fight. And now it's just about, Hey, do you have the fortitude? Can you stay, stay with it long enough to see it through? Because anything that you want to fight for is going to come at a cost and, If you don't plan to fight back, no matter what your reaction is perfect. It's like, I, I don't know what happens next other than I got to do what I got to do in order to, to, to make it out of this. And hopefully we all carry a little bit of that, like tenacity and and spirit because man, life is going to hit you in the mouth time and time again. And it's up to you to, to, to figure it out and to punch back.
0: Yeah. Very good
1: point. So you got a vaccination. So this is the point where if you want to tune off, feel free. But if you're curious, hopefully people think of us as analytical types and that we we have rhyme and reason uh, to some degree or another, even if it's baboons. But if you want to hear about our reasoning and logic for why we got vaccinated, maybe tune in. Yeah. So you got vaccinated. How did that go? Yeah,
0: Yeah, it went great. You know, got the first one, didn't feel anything, you know, a little sore, but not nothing that you know, any other shot would be the same. And then second one, I got pretty sick the next day. Well, I wouldn't say sick. That night I had, it just didn't feel good. And I woke up with a terrible headache the next day. But then it was gone. It took a took some excedrin and it was gone. Yeah, so I, my wife and I, we were very careful because my wife is susceptible and my son has asthma. So, you know, and my wife is a very cautious person anyway. I'm not at all. Like, I uh, don't really, I'm not really yeah. I'm not really cautious unless it comes to like the ocean, <laughs> in which case I'm very cautious. I don't like it. So I wanted to get it because I don't subscribe to conspiracy theories. I don't think I think that even though there are some that might be true, I don't think in this case that any, you know, the government is trying to do any like, you know, inject us with something or whatever. I think that it's a massive testament to humanity. To be able to respond to a virus like this with a vaccine in and and to get it approved for mass billions of you know injections for billions of people in just over a year is un I mean less than a year is unbelievable. I mean think about it, getting a vaccine for anything, not just not just created but approved takes between five and seven years. My father-in-law is in drugs. Like that's what he does. He's developed drugs his whole life. And it, he will tell you it is, it costs millions of tens of millions of dollars. And then once you have it approved, finally, you only have, I think it's like three or four years before generic brands can then be made. So it's like, you got to make your money back, but it takes a forever yeah. to get anything approved. So it just goes to show you that, that, you know, humanity can band together to, to overcome something. And we've learned so much about coronavirus and, and itself and COVID itself that oh, in in less than a year, it's just in, incredible. And I wanted to be a part of that. And, you know, I didn't get it right away. You know, obviously people in healthcare and, uh, and stuff, they got it first, old, older folks mm-hmm. got it, got it. Teachers got it. So by that time, Felt pretty okay with getting it. Yeah. You know, I was at first when it came out, I was a little bit nervous just because it came out so fast. And the last time that we put out a vaccine like that, they had to pull it back like yeah, decades ago. They had to pull it back because it was really hurting people. But that didn't happen this time. I felt good about it and wanted to actually get back to life too. Yeah. You know,
1: nice. Yeah, I think. I think it's good to be healthy skeptics when it comes to your health. And like, I am not in favor of mandated vaccinations. Like, I think people should retain the right to decide what goes into their body. That's very much the libertarian part of me. And from there, you know, make the decision that's best for you. And so if you don't want to get a vaccine, I completely understand. I'll tell you the reason why I did. First, I didn't have quite the same experience as Todd. We both took the same vaccine, which was Pfizer. My arm was pretty sore the next day, but not like unusable. It was just tender. And the second dose, I didn't really feel anything the next day. I didn't run a fever, didn't have a headache or anything. I felt my, a little tired at the end of day two, um, but that could have been also because I spent six hours driving in a car the day before and i had a light had a headache monday but i don't know if that was from the shot which would have been three days after the fact or if it was because i had a bunch of crappy food at the alamo draft house (laughs) the night before and so coin toss i don't know i don't get headaches ever though so worth noting one way or the other if that was the worst that happened from that i had zero problems with that but the reason I felt comfortable taking it It was because of a couple of reasons. For one, we don't know if there's any long term lasting effects from either of these things. Well, from Pfizer or from these vaccines, from any of the vaccines, whereas we do know there are potential long lasting damage, neural damage from the the virus like. So Mm -hmm. maybe something eventually might happen because of the vaccine where there's currently no evidence there is evidence that there are potential long-term lasting damages to your to your health from the virus so just on a equating basis the virus is already worse for a fact like that's und- undeniable now to be fair we don't know there could be long-term lasting damages from the vaccine we None of that's presented itself yet. There's been absolutely zero evidence of that so far. And I feel like they've done a pretty good job of being transparent. Like we've seen J&J, right, has had their stuff paused. AstraZeneca had their stuff paused out of, you know, caution for potential, you know, side effects. And so I use that as an example of, I don't think they're hiding stuff from us because of their willingness to kind of come out and, and display those things. But the other thing is Pfizer was made it apart from the government. It was not part of Trump's Operation Warp Speed. It was made separate from that. They said, no, we don't want any government interference with our project, and that's part of the reason why I was a fan of Pfizer and and their methodology. And so, yeah, and just reading up based on the uh, the technology itself it's not like editing your dna i've seen people say that on facebook and that's not the way the technology works it's not editing your dna it's very different from that it's a, a faux they call it like a blueprint it's kind of giving your immune system like a signal like look for this and then attack it and now if the virus presents itself it knows what it looks like and it'll attack it and it's proven at this point to be hundred percent effective against death and up to like 94, 95% effective against, I, and this is where I, this is where I get super confused. And I've read threads of like immunologists and, uh, people scientists, basically chemists and, and people in the know try to explain the, the whole 94, 95% effectiveness idea And I don't understand it. I don't know if that means it's that means five percent of the people ended up infected or five percent of the people who were infected ended up hospitalized. I don't know. (laughs) I do know it absolutely protects everyone so far against death, which is, you know, a bonus. But even if you were to look at kind of the the quote unquote worst one, the J&J vaccine, it's something like six out of a couple of million. Okay. So potentially six out of, you know, millions were potentially like killed. Whereas if you extrapolated that to what if those same 2 million people had been infected with the virus? Well, then you would have had 20,000 people dead, you know, maybe at the higher end and at the minimum, several hundred and so on an equating basis you know mathematically the even the worst vaccine is doing far better than than a viral infection that's not even getting into some of those longer term implications and impacts that you know to your health there's like stuff that you know they're reporting going on with uh, your your neurology that is very damaging and long-term consequences and so for so many reasons i was just like yeah i would much rather for one not have to deal with getting sick for hopefully at best one or two weeks but we have friends and one of our listeners uh, was infected with you know covid and they ended up dealing with it for over a month like i don't want to lose a month of productivity i don't want to lose a month of feeling like i have to tell everybody and i can't be around anybody and now i'm isolated even more than we have been and so there's so many reasons for me that I was just made it a no brainer because generally i'm not a big vaccine person like when i was a kid i got all my normal vaccines and i don't i don't think i've taken a single vaccine since i'm not someone who gets a flu shot every year like i personally really enjoy natural immune immuno health like i'm going to get Mm -hmm. my immune system healthy by exposure to germs not to say i go around like eating handfuls of dirt from every place i visit (laughs) Uh, but i appreciate like exposing myself to, to germs and to building my you know immune immune system the the normal you know way but in this case there was just no way to do that without rolling the dice and it didn't make sense to go through this entire past year and then not take advantage of the, the the medicine and so it was a very easy call for me even as someone who is just shy of the tinfoil hat crowd. Like I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm not a fan of the government. And uh, I think even you were surprised that I was going to get the the vaccine. I was like, no, I have no problem. Like I trust the science and the data is out there for me to, to look at. And yeah. yeah, I'm not a conspiracy
0: yeah, theorist. I guess in hindsight, I don't know why I was shocked. <laughs> I mean, I guess, yeah, because I, I mean, you're, you're kind, you don't go through, you don't go through the fucking metal detector at a, at a, yeah. at the airport. So or the thing that you do, but the thing that, that like x-rays you that like yeah. you stand in, you put your hands over your head and it like swirls around. You don't go through that. I so, do not. No, um, I've, I've yeah, been through is, it yeah, once. I get it.
1: And just to hammer home yeah. this idea of to paint a picture of people seeing me as someone who got the vaccine. I do have healthy. I've gone through that little radio backscatter device once. And it was because I was forced to in Australia when I was flying out to New Zealand. They literally wouldn't give me an option, and I was about to fight with them. And um, when you just at a certain point realize you, there's nothing left to fight. <laughs> like, Do I want
0: to get to my destination or yeah, not? yeah, exactly? That's not going to happen. That was the only question. Yeah. Uh, or so I, I guess. I guess I understand it because you are a science guy. Yeah. And so if you can look at the science and it, and trust the numbers, then yeah, that that makes sense for you. So I guess. That makes sense.
1: Yeah, and the and now that people are looking at me as if I may actually wear no. tinfoils, just to put some meat on that bones, I don't go through that stuff for two reasons. One, I think all airport security is theater. It doesn't actually protect us. It's all a waste 100%. of money, and it's 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 bullshit theater. But two, none of that technology has ever actually been independently tested. They don't let anybody outside of the government and that contractor like test that stuff. So whenever we were doing mm-hmm. before the backscatter, there was a the the. Backscatter radiation stuff. And I forgot, I'm sorry, I forgot what the, the terminology was, but that wasn't independently verified either. They would just say, trust us. And that was kind of the end of that conversation. And I'm not someone who, yeah. who thrives on- There's no science. There's, no, there's no, science no science to actually look at. Yeah. There's no numbers. Yeah, that that makes sense.
0: Yeah. And I get that. So, But I didn't think about that. I just yeah. attributed it to the whole government thing. Yeah. But yeah. But another big reason too that I got it, and the, I'll just say this and I'll end, is that- Uh, You know, I'm not afraid of coronavirus. If I get it, I think I'll be fine. Statistically, we are
1: really well positioned.
0: Yes, but my wife and my son are both susceptible. And not just that, I don't want to think that I could ever give it to somebody else who might not be in as good a position as me health-wise. The idea that I might have it and not know it and pass it on to somebody else that might then get very sick or even possibly die is just... It's not, it is more, it's that's scarier to me than actually getting it. So I didn't get it so that I wouldn't get it.
1: I got it so that I wouldn't pass it on. And it's so contagious. Here's the thing. And then we will in, in this episode, it's so contagious. You have to think of during the holidays, we saw a massive spike. And for everyone who's saying that this is just like the flu, you have to understand. We didn't see that same level of spike with flu cases. If it was exactly the same as a flu, you would have seen the same level of spiking happening but despite all the uh, precautions despite all the, the the masking and all the social it still had a massive spike over the holidays you know throughout the states and so as compared to something like the flu like the flu was still tame
0: and yes can we call can we call a spade a spade really quick just look at the numbers yeah. anybody that says that is just ignorant i mean last year or in 2019 22,000 people died of the flu. Yeah. 22,000. If you go back and you look at the last 5 years of the flu, yeah. that wouldn't equal what we've lost in in a year with coronavirus. Yeah. So don't tell me that this is like the flu. This is not like the flu. This is nothing like the flu. And the other the other damage that this causes is that when people and this is the whole thing that was happening, you know, when this first started and through the summer is that like the problem is when the, when hospitals get overrun, yeah. people who are sick then cannot get the treatment they need. And when you cannot breathe, you die. When you cannot breathe, you need immediate help. It's not like I'm sick and I have a fever, and if I don't get help in the next 24 hours, or, or hell, even five hours, then I'll, I'll I'll die. No, this is like, you will die right there. Yeah.
1: And luckily we've gotten a lot better at treating it. So the numbers, totally the percentage of deaths are way, way lower than they were at the beginning because we've, Mm -hmm. we understand it more. Um, so yeah, maybe it's, you know, not the 5% or 3% that we saw initially, but you know, it's still highly contagious and it can still knock a lot of people out. So, yeah. So yeah. if you're on the fence, hopefully you know that gives you a little more context and to to make the best decision for you and your family.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Either way, yeah. we love you.
1: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Thank you guys. Yeah. Thank you guys again for joining us. Really, really appreciate it. Please like uh, Wes said earlier, share us with your friends. Review us. A review goes a long way. Like farther than farther than you could ever imagine. So please, that that helps us out a lot. And make sure to join us next week. What is it that we decided we're doing? Dead Poet Society. What we put on there. Dead Poet Society. We're gonna start on our Robin Williams kick for the next three weeks. So join us next week. We're doing Dead Poet Society. Until then, I am Todd. I am Wes. Go watch the movies.